Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Have a seat. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in James chapter 2 today. We are in week 8 of our series uh, in the book of James, and we are just now getting to chapter 2, which is a good thing. And as I was thinking about this this week, um, and I can, yeah, go ahead and dismiss uh, the three to five-year-olds so those kids can go ahead and head on out to to their class. Um, As I was thinking about this uh, week, as I was writing my notes, and just all this good stuff that I think is in here um, prepared for this sermon, I was thinking about you guys as a church which is a good thing to do whenever you're writing a sermon um, based on who you're writing it to. Um, But I was thinking about some of the qualities I like about our church. And one of the qualities I like about our church is the fact that I see, or when I see most of you, whether it's on a Sunday or if I see you uh, throughout the week, um, you pretty much look the same. Uh, and, and, And kind of what I mean by that is, uh, we're, at least from, from my perspective, we're not a church that tries to put together our Sunday best um, or put together our, our best foot forward on Sundays. Uh, I've come from churches in the past that, um, that, that have absolutely been that you know, kind of vein of life, uh, especially in the South. And, um, and, and it's not necessarily, I'm not knocking, you know, if you wear a suit on Sunday. If you want to wear a suit in here, that's fine. You can wear a suit. Um, I, I get the idea uh, behind why you would want to kind of dress your best for, for God as you're coming to worship. You want to present yourself in a certain way. But at the same time, there's, there's a facade to that. Um, there's, as we used to say, pre-COVID, you know, that's like kind of wearing a mask to church. Um, but, but the thing that I have appreciated about us is, is we pretty much come as we are. We, we pretty much come as we are. And I think one of the things that we're going to see in this message today is I want to go a little bit deeper than just kind of that surface area or surface level. Even though I think from, for, for the most part we, we present ourselves as who we are, I still think there's a deeper level of, of how we interact with one another and who we interact with um, that that is still kind of in that let's put our best foot forward or let's present ourselves with a Sunday best um, or even in the crowd that we hang out with. Let's, let's only hang out with those who, who look like us or let's only extend um, certain gifts or mercy and grace to those who are as we are. And so I really want to challenge that uh, this morning as we kind of dive into this passage um, but, but again, I just want to put that out there. Uh, it doesn't matter when we worship. It doesn't matter what collar you come from, whether you're blue collar, white collar, no collar. That, that doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I think there needs to be a certain level of, of being able to cross those nuances when it comes to what we are familiar with and, and what we find comfortable when it comes to um, to who we interact with on a daily basis. And so that's where I want to dive into this. 
in, in James chapter 2 this morning, and it's really simply this. It's that the church must not show partiality by withholding mercy towards those God has called to be fellow heirs of his kingdom. We cannot show partiality towards those God has called to be fellow heirs of his kingdom. And so I'm going to read James 2, 1 through 13, and then we're going to break it up into three sections as we walk through this. Starting verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word for us today. And as we uh, are diving into this, we're just going to kind of go down into this really simple point here. James is making for us today, which is how do we love our neighbors? How do we love our neighbors? I think all of it can be summed up in that kind of how. How do we love our neighbors? And the first point that I want to show you here is we need to love our neighbors without distinction or exclusion. We need to love our neighbors without distinction or exclusion. This, uh, the first thing we're going to look at is in these first four verses. As you hold the faith in Jesus, James says, Simply show no partiality. As you hold the faith in Jesus, show no partiality. James is dedicating here 13 verses. 13 verses to warning these persecuted Jews who have been scattered now all over the region that he's writing to, to not withhold mercy. To not withhold mercy to those entering their assemblies who are underprivileged or in disadvantaged places economically. Now, the temptation these brothers and sisters faced was to then give preferential treatment to those who were outwardly prosperous while being dismissive of those who were of lower socioeconomic or um, political status, if you will. And this is what James is saying. When you make those distinctions, when you make those distinctions, he's saying you've become judges with evil thoughts. You've become judges with evil thoughts. Another way to say evil thoughts would be evil reasoning. Your reasoning 
something inside of your mind that does not align with the mind of Christ. You're perceiving somebody that does not align with the way Christ perceives them. You're viewing them. You're judging them in a way that Christ does not judge them. James is saying literally, when you do this, you have appointed yourself to be godlike in your judgment, but ungodly in that you're judging people by showing partiality. And so James is saying your mind is not reasoning from the godly wisdom that we've been talking about throughout this book. This entire book can really just be summed up as just godly wisdom to us. It's a wisdom type book that is written, wisdom literature here. James is saying your mind is not reasoning from the godly wisdom that comes from an inner transformation from the heart through faith, through faith. But it's reasoning with worldly wisdom that feeds on the passions of the flesh. That's where this kind of partiality is coming from, is a world-like view. And the first thing Jesus leads with, Jesus, when, when he's preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and with, with all the intros, with all the things that he could have led with, with all the stories that he could have started out with, with all the jokes he could have told whenever he was leading out with his sermon, the first thing that he leads out with is this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus leads with a particular kind of spiritual quality that he's calling his people to cultivate and to exhibit and to extend in the church. We're to extend this type of quality that comes from Christ. So it's impossible, James is saying here, to love our neighbor when we lead with this distinction and exclusion of others. It's impossible to love our neighbor and when that happens, we're kind of like Luke 10, 25. We're kind of like this lawyer in Luke 10, where we are told he stood up to put Jesus to the test. And this is what he says to Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and he gave this very well-known story that is often used in, in many illustrations. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asked this question, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Who was the neighbor? It was the one who who showed mercy. Jesus identified so much with the lowly because he identifies himself as being gentle and lowly, given the books that are in your seats right now. 
This is the quality that Jesus is is implementing as his way of extending out the heart of the gospel. Extending out the heart of God when it comes to how he is going to interact and who he is going to interact with as he is living his life and living out his ministry. And as he is now modeling for his disciples and teaching his disciples how they ought to live their lives. You are not to be like the priest or the Levite who are coming down a road and see a man in need and don't tend to him. You are to be like the Samaritan. You are to be like the one who has compassion for those who are less fortunate in that scene, in that scenario, in that situation. And you are to extend your life, extend mercy to them by showing them mercy, by taking time out of your day, and by taking energy, and by taking resources, and by taking money, and by setting them up in such a way that they will be restored, refreshed, healed, and then found better off than when they first were discovered. That's what Jesus is preaching here. That's what Jesus is proclaiming because he so relates. The way of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the mind of Jesus. This is what he's eager to remind the churches of when it comes to here in James. We also see this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, might, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the idea of, of what God has blessed you with. You might empty yourself of that in order to extend that out so that someone else who does not have it might be elevated with it and exalted. So to love our neighbors, the kind of neighbors the world would designate having lesser than or lowly status, we must become poor in spirit in order to love them with Without distinction or exclusion, because the scripture doesn't give, wait for it, qualifiers on who your neighbors are. The scripture nowhere gives qualifiers on who your neighbors are. Like when it says to love your neighbor, nowhere does Jesus say, guys, just wait, I'm going to send you an email tomorrow. It's going to have some qualifiers for who you should look for, how you should filter out people when they come into your assembly or when you see them on the side of the road or when you interact with them in your neighborhood or whether they're in your family or not. There's no qualifiers. The command is to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So it is not positioned from a place of finding someone who I'm comfortable interacting with and then extending mercy and grace to them by sharing the gospel. But no, it's do they have a heartbeat? Uh, that was one of the, always the, frustrating, the most frustrating question I ever got when we were starting the church was from church planting networks, what's your target audience? I don't know how to answer that question. What are you asking me? What's your target audience? Like, are, what's your demographic that you're going to go after? And I get what they're saying because they're running all the statistics across the nation. And they're like, if you, if you reach millennials, if you reach you know, people in their early 20s, uh, who don't have kids yet, like this is going to be the most successful way in order for the church. And again, that's what our church has primarily become, but that is not due to any type of strategy that we had. No strategy we had. We had no strategy. I mean, literally no strategy of who we are going to go out and reach. Because the only frustrating answer that I gave them was, do they have a heartbeat? 
If they have a heartbeat, we're going after them. We're going after them. And that, 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 that allows everyone, regardless of ethnicity background, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of age, wherever they land on the spectrum, we're able to pursue them with the gospel of Christ. We're able to pursue them. That's exactly what Jesus did. And so that's the first thing. We need to love our neighbors without distinction or exclusion. The second thing is this. We need to love our neighbors by honoring them as fellow heirs. Picking it up in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Looking at James here, James says something shocking here, actually, which is God has chosen the lowly and the lesser thans to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And that's kind of like what we talk about here sometimes, which is the upside down nature of God's kingdom. The upside down nature of God's kingdom. The world, the world just sees different. The world just sees different, different stuff than, than should the church. The world sees it differently. It sees money. It sees status. It sees influence as the people who are most advantageous to be close to. Like you want to surround yourself with, um, or, or if you want to be successful in life, surround yourself with successful people. That's the way the world views it. You want to be wealthy eventually? Well, surround yourself with wealthy people. They will help you get there. That's how the world views progress and success. And I think the church should view it a little bit differently. But unfortunately, we kind of think people who have a little more status or a little more money as being the people who are a little more closer to God at the same time. Like, I think we do that, right? Like, I think there's, there's, there's even within our own church, we will look at one another and we will say, well, they've got a nicer house. They have a nicer car. They're, you know, they're, they're, they don't seem to be struggling financially. And so they must be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. They must be closer to God. They must have more favor from God than what I do. And so maybe it's my sin in my life. Maybe it's uh, the consequences due to that. Maybe it's, you know, I'm not as devoted to reading scripture or praying or evangelizing or doing those things. And so therefore, God is just keeping those things from me. And that's kind of the trap that these Jewish Christians are finding themselves failing and falling into at the time. But God says, I've chosen those who have nothing to have everything. And when God chooses you to have everything he has, it's because you've come to the conclusion that the everything you had is actually nothing. Like that's how this works. Is even if you have, because again, what this is not saying is, this is not against those with money or those with status or those with influence. It's not against them. What it is saying, though, is, is you need to come to the reality that even if you have those things, those things mean nothing. What ultimately means everything is the grace and mercy of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His life, his life for you, means everything. Without that, it doesn't matter what wealth you have or what influence you have or what status you have. 
You've heard us talk about it. Like, there is no U-Haul following you to heaven, bringing all of your stuff with you. Like, the money that you make is not going. The influence that you have is not going. The status that you have is not going. None of that is going. The only thing that gets you into heaven is Jesus Christ's blood and His righteousness that He has imparted to you, that He has given to you, that He has extended to you in an act of mercy. That's it. And that's all that matters when it comes to this. And what he's saying here is, is not only those who are lowly in status will be inheriting this richness of faith, but those with material possessions who have the posture of being poor in spirit will also receive this richness of faith. Will also. But that's the hard part. It's easier for someone in lowly status and lowly material possessions and lowly um, economic, whatever you fill in the blank there. It's easier for those people to be able to see their state and connect that to their spiritual state. Where the Bible constantly kind of rails at is the wealthy person or the person with material possessions or the allure of material possessions who some, for some reason think that God has blessed them with a spiritual richness because of those things. And that's where we need to do the work of repentance. That's where we need to do the work of repentance. Because if we believe that, if we believe that, then when someone comes in to our assembly, or we interact with someone out on the road or in our neighborhood or whatever it is, that does not fit the bill of these things over here, then we're going to exclude and show distinction and show partiality. We're going to say, well, God does not favor them because they are not like us. They've not earned what we've earned. They don't have what we have. And so we're not going to interact with them. We want, we want people, we want to gather successful people around to make sure we're successful. And so let's gather all those successful disciples around so that we can be successful disciples. And that's not what the Bible is teaching us. Remember, James told us in James 1.9, he said, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. We need to have some of that humiliation. We need to be humbled by seeing that everything that we do have actually means nothing. means nothing. Proverbs 14.31 also says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. One of the ways we show this love by extending it out is by honoring those who are different than us. Just simply different than us. It's so upside down. It's so different because we have a heart that pulses in step and in sync with the world we treasure the things that the world treasures. We, we have a hard time wringing that out of our system. And so that's some work that we need to do. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.26, and, and this is just such a, a crazy verse. I think we should read this verse every day for the rest of the year. I know you're not going to do that, but I'm just saying. I'm just laying it out there. Listen to what he says in this verse. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. This is Paul just kind of putting the Corinthians in their place. None of you, you're not smart. You're not wise. 
No one's picking you first on the kickball team. Like, it's just not happening. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose what is foolish. He chose what is weak. He chose what is low and despised so that no human being might boast in the presence of God for anything that they own because they are not what they own. That's it. You're simply, you're not what you own. And we need to come to terms with that. The third thing is we love our neighbors with mercy over judgment. We love our neighbors with mercy over judgment. This is verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the entire law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. To summarize it here, James is saying that if you show partiality, we are not loving our neighbors. Simply put. Now listen to this. And not loving our neighbors is the equivalent of breaking what we would consider to be God's most important laws. Right? Like if I look at you right now and say you've got, you've got two options to sin this week. And, and you're going to do one of these two. You can either murder somebody or you can just not love your neighbor well. Which one are we going to choose? Not love your neighbor well, hopefully. <laughs> All right, if, you're, if any of you are thinking anything else, like we need to talk. But what James is pulling in here is he's basically saying keeping the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself is so serious, he's pointing out, that to not keep it puts you in the same category. The same category as those who are on death row for first degree murder. Like what he's saying here is we have to stop categorizing sins. Because we do that, right? We do that. Well, I'm just not as bad as so-and-so. Or I've not done as bad as this or that. And what he's getting at here is when you start to do that, when you start to categorize your sin, you start to categorize people. You start to categorize people. Because now you're starting to place, well, I'm really good at these things, and I'm not so good at these things. So as long as I'm good at these things, let me surround myself with those types of people. And then that begins to exclude and show distinctions and show partiality. And what this is also doing, what I'm also saying here, is not that we are excusing sin in any of the distinctions or partiality. We want to welcome all, but at the same time, in welcoming all, we are at the same time in love, in kindness, in gentleness, calling each other out. Just like James is here. He's calling out these Jewish Christians. 
He's calling them out. Paul never holds back when he calls out sin in the churches that he writes his letters to. But they do it in such a way that, is, that it is an extension of God's mercy and grace that he has shown them. And that's huge. That's huge for us. But we need to make this comparison that the same heart that commits murder is the same heart that decides who not to love. It's the same heart. If you were to physically harm somebody and murder them, or at the same time, know someone is lost and have the opportunity to share with them the good that provides for them life, forgiveness, and eternal glory with Jesus Christ, to withhold that, James is saying, is the same thing. It's the same thing. You're just slowly killing them and sending them to hell in a different way. In a different way. It's serious. And it's heavy. I feel it right now. It's heavy. But I think it needs to be heavy. One of my mentors once said, like when, when things are heavy, it humbles you because it brings you down. It lowers you. It needs to. It's necessary. Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about the rabbis, these religious leaders and in verse 6, he says this, And they love the place of honor at feasts and, they, and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love all the things we would love. They love all the things we do love. But here he's talking to his disciples, and this is what he says to them. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But Jesus kept pressing his disciples. It's back to understanding who they are and what God has called them to do. Who they are is recipients of mercy. Coming to this understanding that they did not elevate themselves nor exalt themselves, but they are recipients of mercy. And when you understand that, that allows you to be humbled. For Jesus again warns us back in verse 13 when he says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Jesus actually spoke about that in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. He says this judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not, he's not saying don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. But he's saying you need to first realize your condition and your state. If you're not humbled, that means you've got a log in your eye. You've got sin in your life. You've got things that you're not walking through nor dealing with or repenting of. And it's causing an issue. But in your self-righteousness, kind of that category over here. To justify yourself, you're looking at everyone else's sins. They're specks. 
And you're just going around. I'm just going to pluck those specks out of your eyes. I'm going to get, I'm going to get each and every one of them. But you do it in a harsh way. You don't do it in a tender way, in a gentle way, like what Jesus has done for us. Paul helps us here in Galatians 6 when he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Be aware. Always be aware. Put a mirror in front of your face. Remember who you are and also become aware of the sins that you still commit on a daily basis. Know who you are in Christ so that those sins don't condemn you and you go into this certain type of of self-deprecation. But you need to know what they are so that you're able to remove that log. And then you just see things clearly. You see things clearly. And as you see the brother or sister who's caught in a sin, who's walking out of step with the Spirit, whatever that might look like, you're able to clearly see the situation, discern the situation, and come to them in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because you've received it yourself. You know what it's like to receive mercy rather than judgment. Galatians 6, 2-4, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then... His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I don't have enough time to tease that one out uh, another time. For each will have to bear his own load. It's impo- like For us to truly extend mercy to others, we need to do the work of seeing ourselves in the mercy that we're receiving. We've got to see our sin. We've got to get serious about our sin. As serious as the fact of murder and adultery. And we got to take that sin and bring it to the feet of Jesus and repent of it on a daily basis. That's why we do confession every Sunday. And that's why we are training you through that confession every Sunday to do that on a daily basis. Because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that confession, that word is doing something in your life. It's producing righteousness in you. It's producing repentance in you. It's producing restoration in you. All of that is happening when we're submitting our lives to the Word of God and letting it reveal in us the inconsistencies that we're still holding on to in the Word and in our flesh and in our passions of our flesh. That's what His Word is doing. And and we are giving ourselves over to that. Keep watch on yourself. Test your own work as a way to extend mercy over judgment. Because we will always extend mercy to the degree that we know how much we need it and have received it ourselves. So James finishes here at the end of verse 13 with this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying it's a far greater thing to show mercy. To not give people what you think they deserve based on their status. Or their socioeconomic place in the community. Even their questionable deeds, right? Like, there's just things people do, and when they do it, we're like, you know what? I'm not going to interact with that person. I'm going to, like, protect my children away from them. I'm not going to interact with them, whatever that might look like. Like, we do that. We do that. I remember having a conversation. Um, This was in, like, uh, this was back in Tennessee. And I like to pick on Tennessee just because it's Tennessee. Um, but 
I remember having a conversation with some church members, and it, and it was a heated debate. It was, it was the, the debate of, of whether to homeschool, public school, or private school. And, and there were multiple families from kind of each, each point of view coming to the table and, and having, they wanted our church to recommend one. And I'm like, okay, um, you can't, you know, just recommend one, but let's hear your arguments. And the, and, and this is, this is no knock on homeschool. If you homeschool in here, God's goodness and grace to you, all right? Because uh, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do, but in this situation, the homeschool person said, the reason why we homeschool is because we don't want their sin to catch on to our kids. And I just looked at this person and I said, are, are you serious? Are you serious? One, because I've watched your kids in nursery and you, if you send them to public school, they're going to make it worse. <laughs> and so like it's, it's just we've got to get to this reality and this understanding that we are all sinners every single one of us and according to James it doesn't matter if you've murdered someone or you've just not shared a cup of sugar with your neighbor you're the same you are the same and so this idea of of judging others and letting that triumph over mercy by judging them by saying like you know what I'm nervous that the way you talk is going to influence my kids or I'm nervous that the way you look is going to influence uh, my family. Or, or the way you look, if, if someone were to see us together, what are they going to think of us? I mean, how many times was Jesus accused of being a drunkard and a glutton? Because he was with drunkards and gluttons all the time. It's easy to bring that one up, especially in the South, because they like to hide their whiskey, but they're all overweight. We compare and we judge. And we got to stop doing that. Because God looks at us and makes no distinctions. He extends His mercy and His grace. And he's not looking at color. He's not looking at socioeconomic status. If anything, where he's starting with is the bottom of the barrel. Let me go and get the lowly of the lowly. I mean, look at his 12 disciples. Not one of them was considered educated. Educated. But what do we do in our current day and age? Especially, and this is a conviction that we have. I'm not saying this is how we uh, brought Josh on full time. Um, but when we look around, and usually if there's a vacancy in a church for a position, what do you do? Well, let's, let's accept resumes. And let's start to weed out the process and let's get the cream of the crop. Like, let's get the best of the best. Upside down kingdom, that's not how he does things. But yet, that's how the church has moved in and is now operating. Whenever we're looking for new leadership positions on our leadership team, let's, who do we think is the best person to fit this position? We don't ever ask the question, who do we think would destroy this ministry? Who do we think would just wreck it altogether? Now, I'm not saying let's go and be reckless in that regard, but I'm just saying, like, there's something to weakness and uneducation 
or lack thereof anything in the list of, of just resources to where God sees that as an opportunity for him to flex his strength and his resources and he does something that's just so upside down compared to what our community or our society does. We got to stop judging. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we've taken this truth and you've got to ask yourself, how can we not give mercy? How can we make distinctions like that? How can we show partiality the way that we do sometimes? So the question I'm going to leave with you this morning is this, as a way of application. Who can you show mercy to today? Who can you show mercy to today? And what I want us to do in this time of closing is I want us to get in our, in our minds, and our hearts. I mean, you could, you could talk about this with the person next to you with you. I'm going to give you a little bit of space here. But I want you to think about someone and have them in mind. And if you want to say their word to the person next to you, that's fine. But, but we're going to take a moment and we're going to begin praying. Just praying over a person that we know we can extend mercy to. We can extend mercy to. And one of the things that I want to just kind of let you in on of what we've been doing kind of behind the scenes as a church, um, primarily with our downtown community group, has been working with an organization called Seed to Oaks that is helping to train our church to do this very thing. To look at the needs of the community around them and to then be able to look at the resources within the church and how can the church begin to break down those barriers in between so that the mercy can be extended out? And that can, that can look on a grand scale of like putting it in budgets and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's really got to get down to an individual level. It's got to get down to an individual level where we're each looking at our resources and our time and our energy and whatever that looks like. And then we're walking down the road like the Samaritan. And we're just looking for our opportunity to extend mercy to those who are in need. Who can you show mercy to today? Because we all have somebody. We all have somebody who could use our mercy to win out in their life today over judgment. So let's take a moment. I'm going to go ahead and invite Jordan to come on up here. Let's take a moment and, um, and just be quiet. And as you reflect on the mercy that God has extended to you, let that humble you. Let that categorize and all your resources and material possessions. Just put those things aside. They mean nothing. They mean nothing. We're sinners. And God, through Jesus Christ, who in his gentleness and lowliness humbled himself to the point of death on a cross to extend love, grace, and mercy to us, as he came to us on our road of despair, we now have someone that we can think about to extend mercy to them. So let's pray for our state, do the work there, and then pray for that person that God will bring you to them as soon as possible. Let's take some time. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. 
Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at the district.church.